in The Chosen, then you probably know who this guy is, right? If we can put that up on the screen, who is this guy? Nicodemus, Matt gave you a clue who we were talking about. And if you looked at the sermon notes, and if you pulled those out, want to use those, you probably have a clue as well. Nicodemus, or as his wife called him, Nico, right? Nicodemus appeared, I think, in almost every episode that we watched. And so he was everywhere. We saw him regularly, which makes him a key figure in at least season one of The Chosen. And as I thought about this and looked at this, I, I, I put it in your notes this way. Nicodemus is an influential Pharisee. He's a religious leader. He's a who's who among the religious leaders, and he's held in the highest regard. He, he, there's a lot of other Pharisees that look at Nicodemus and go, man, this guy's got it. He's come so far. It, it, the example that he set I got to believe that the younger Pharisees are going, look at Nicodemus. If you're like Nicodemus, all is good, right? So being a Pharisee, Nicodemus follows the piety of the Mosaic law. He is drilled into it, glued to it, if you will, because I believe in the heart of hearts of Nicodemus, he desires to seek and know and honor God. He's passionate about this, and his interest is great. And in these episodes that we've looked at, of one through eight, that we've had and wrapped up this past uh, Wednesday, I, I thought to myself, well, what do we see happening? Uh, Nicodemus was in, I think, every episode except maybe three. I, I couldn't locate him in, in three. But see if you remember these scenes. As Nicodemus is touring the region, uh, uh, Praetor uh, Quintus approaches him in that... In that uh, which is there is a, uh, uh, what I want to say, a, a chariot, if you will, that he's there. And he demands that uh, Nicodemus help with paying unpaid taxes. He demands that he gets assistance with that. We also saw in episode one that Nicodemus goes to the Red Quarter to perform an exorcism on this woman named Lilith. But he fails. And it leaves him shaken and disturbed and uncertain of what this was about. Then he hears about the miraculous healing of Lilith. Now that we know as Mary Magdalene. Because Jesus said Mary. And that's when she freezes. Remember that scene? And she turns around and says, how does this man know my name? And so that's happening. And Nicodemus wants to investigate this. And as I said earlier, because of he's a who's who, Nicodemus, um, he holds a Shabbat dinner and guests are invited and this is a big deal. We saw this in, in the show as well. And other Pharisees are there. And uh, it's just an amazing scene right there of them wanting to, to, to come to Shabbat. And his wife giving him some instruction, which I thought was kind of interesting. All men need instructions, even if, you're, even if you're Nicodemus, right? And then as he continues his investigation about the miracles later on in episode uh, four, Nicodemus visits and interrogates John the Baptist, and there's John in this prison cell, and he goes up to him and wants to try and understand, what is it about this man? And if you remember John's response, it's like, miracles? Oh, you're seeing, oh, I prepared the way for the one who's about to bring miracles. And as he does this, John the Baptist explains his ministry and the ministry of Jesus to Nicodemus, which leaves Nicodemus even more curious wanting to know more about this Jesus from Nazareth. And this curiosity leads Nicodemus to seek out Mary Magdalene because he's figured out that she has gotten connected to Jesus. And so he wants to see if he can arrange a meeting for him with Jesus. 
And what we see in the episodes that followed in episode uh, 6 and then into 7, Jesus agrees to meet with Nicodemus. He's going to have this meeting one night, and this event is later recorded in John's gospel. And that's what we have is this meeting, this gathering at this table as is depicted there in The Chosen as they meet together. It's in this meeting that Nicodemus and Jesus, um, with Jesus, that he produces the most well-known verse in all of Scripture, which is what? John 3.16. I'm glad you're tracking with me because let's go there. John chapter 3, if you have your Bible, open it there to John chapter 3. You'll find verse 16 and his neighbor, verse 17 in there. We're going to look at verses 1 to 21. And what does it mean to be born again? Because this is a topic that is brought up in what Jesus says in his conversation at the table face to face with Nicodemus. John chapter 3, we'll look at verses 1 through 21, and we'll, we'll work our way through this, sometimes a verse at a time, other times a section of verses at a time, until we get to the end here. So what does it mean to be born again? That's the bigger picture here that's going on in this text. And then what I want to ask and, and apply for ourselves is, how do you know? <laughs> how do you know if you're born again? What are the characteristics that would say, oh, this person's born again? So we'll look at the meeting, then we'll look and see how do we look at someone or look at our own lives and go, okay, born again. That's what that looks like. So let's jump in verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named what? Nicodemus, the ruler of the Jews. He's a who's who, right? Of religious leaders, and he's influential. He's held in the highest esteem. That's who we know we're talking about. Verse 2, this man, Nicodemus, came to Jesus by night. And said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, we know that you have come from God as a teacher for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So the depiction that we saw in episode 7 of this, it was at night. This is what happens. This is what scripture tells us. And it isn't so much that Nicodemus is seeking to be incognito kind of going undercover so no one sees him. It's more that he gets Jesus just one-on-one. -on -one. So there's no distractions. If you notice in the episodes we watch, there's a lot of people wanting to have conversations and interaction with Jesus. But Nicodemus is like, I got to have this one-on-one -on -one with him. And that's the scene that's happening here in this text. Notice that he says, Rabbi. This is interesting too, because if you look at the scene here, Nicodemus looks a little older than Jesus, does he not? And so there's a respect for someone who's younger, and you consider the position that Nicodemus is in, and yet it refers to this young rabbi as rabbi of a term of, of some respect. And then he says, we know, which is implied that it's not just me, it's the Pharisees, in essence, who he's representing here in this meeting. That what? That you come from God. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I look at this, it's like, we know that you come from God, which implies that he does not know he's sitting across the table from God, right? He has no clue at this point. This is who he's talking to. And then he mentions signs, which is a reference to prophets, because this is the idea of what prophets would do, do certain signs, and you go, oh, that's an indicator that they are a man of God or from God because they have signs that they're doing. Verse 3. Jesus speaks. Jesus answered Nicodemus and said to him, Truly, truly, or amen, amen, I say to you, unless one is born again, 
he cannot see the kingdom of God. There it is laid out for him. This word born again, a key word in this story, a key word in actually John's writing of his gospel here in the letter to follow. And so I was just curious to know, a show of hands, if you can do this for me, how many of you have ever heard of the phrase born again? Oh, many hands. I see those online. Great. Thank you for listening and watching and putting those up. That's good. So we've known of this, right? But here's the deal. You all raised your hand. But for Nicodemus, this is his first time. Think about that. And it comes from the mouth of Jesus. And here he is hearing this term. What is this term? Well, it's a scriptural term. I put this in your notes. Referring to God's work of regeneration by which he imparts new spiritual life to you. I put it as a scriptural term. It's not a cultural term. It's not something that you're going to find as a secular term. It's a scriptural term. This is found within the word of God. So help me out here. What did Jesus say? Look back at verse 3. Unless one is what? Born Born again. He cannot see the what? So that would mean this is a big deal. Would you agree? Pretty big deal. He's never heard this before. And if you want to see the kingdom of God, you better know what it means. Nicodemus. Okay, so regeneration, this word, what is this? Regeneration, it's a secret act of God, I put this in your notes, in which he imparts new spiritual life to you, i.e. to be born again. Regeneration. I titled the message, if you noticed, talking about my regeneration. Someone once wrote a song, they just left off the re. So I've changed the song and now it's talking about my regeneration, okay? That's what this is. And it's a secret act of God. What does that mean? What's this imply? It's a work of regeneration is a mysterious work of God the Father and God the Holy Spirit in a believer. In other words, you play, I play no active role in this work that God does. It's an instantaneous act. It is immediate upon the moment of conversion. Faith in Jesus Christ, perfect and completed righteous work on the cross is the means by which you are regenerated. As I thought about this, I thought back to my regeneration day. My conversion Having the talk with my aunt at the kitchen table, visiting her and saying, I know you know about Jesus, but do you know him? In other words, you might know about being born again. You might know about regeneration. She probably didn't think of that for me at that, as a kid at eight, nine years old. But I understood what she said next. She says, but do you know him personally? And it was at that moment I went down the hallway because I knew the answer was no. Walked into a room, closed the door, sat down on my knees and prayed to receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Asking to forgive my sins. And it was on that day that I can look back and go, that's when I was regenerated. Instantaneously. By faith in the work that Christ had done on the cross for my salvation. I hope you have a day, a moment you can look back on and go... Yeah, that moment. Those moments are vivid in my kids' lives for when those days happen to them. And other students through youth ministry and adult ministry and being a pastor, it's been amazing to see that happen. So today we can state 
what being born again means, what regeneration means, but not on this night. Nicodemus is struggling with this phrase born again. It's like he stopped Jesus and said, uh, time out. Say what? What did you say? What was this phrase again you used that I don't know about? I'm clueless of what you're saying. Look at verse 4. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born again when he is old? He cannot, okay, he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Do you remember that scene? And he has this perplexed look and kind of fearful of that's what it's supposed to mean. So clearly, Nicodemus doesn't grasp what this means to be born again. So here he is, he's there with Jesus, and it's obvious he's thinking of the natural, not the supernatural. Because he says in the chosen scene right there, well, I hope I don't enter into my mother's womb again because she's dead. May she rest in peace. He's a little freaked out. Did you catch that? Because if she's gone and that's what it means, I'm toast, right? He's not grasping that this is a supernatural work, an act of God that is going to happen here. But thanks to Nicodemus's confusion, which was, you can say, thank you, Nicodemus, this does something for us. It, it leads us to have Jesus provide a fuller explanation of what he's talking about. So look at verses 5 to 8. Jesus answered, truly, truly, amen, amen. This is the truth here. I want you to get this. I say to you, Nicodemus, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. And I love this. Verse 7. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. Uh oh. <laughs> the wind blows and where it wish wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Are you better, getting a better understanding here, Nicodemus? Are you, are you grasping what's being said here? Born of water. Jesus is referencing the work that John the Baptist did. A message of repentance. Born of the Spirit in verse 5. Jesus is referencing the work of the Holy Spirit in regeneration. Both are going to be required in terms of this process where you are regenerated. And Jesus is saying in verse 7 that you must be born again. That is the answer to the problem in verse 6 which is the flesh. That's where we have this problem. To put it one way, uh, St. Augustine put it this way. The problem with humanity is not what we, what we, that we sin, but that we are a, in a state of sin. To put it another way, we have a terminal diagnosis, spiritually speaking. Jesus uses a word play in verse 8 with the wind and spirit. This Greek word is pneuma. It's the same word that's used for both. And both are invisible and both are mysterious. If you remember the scene, he's like, do you hear that? What's, what's, what's that? The wind. Where does it come from? I don't know. Where's it going? I don't know. How does this work that God redeems somebody, regenerates somebody? Well, we can understand the cross, which is to come. But how does he actually do that supernaturally? It's a secret act. It's a supernatural act of God that we can't fully grasp. In other words, Nicodemus, you don't control either one of how God works to 
through salvation or how he works with the wind. But God is the one who regenerates. Which, which took me back for a moment to years ago. And, and I thought about this. Have you ever been around someone that you know who understood something better than you? Okay. That's like all the time for me. Okay. So years ago, I got to go to Monterey to do some racing. Have you, have you ever heard me tell a story about this one? Okay. But this time I remembered to torque the, the lugs and we, run, and we won the race. But I like to think that I had something to do with that, but really I didn't. So we go out to dinner the night before. It's my oldest brother who's come down from Seattle. He's kind of a Porsche fan. That's what we're racing. And my buddy Jimmer, who's the tech for this car. We go out to dinner. And my buddy Jimmer goes, so Carl, what did you do for work? Now, my brother Carl, my oldest brother Carl, has a PhD in biochemistry. He was a senior vice president of protein chemistry for Immunex Corporation, which is now Amgen. Have you ever heard of the drug Embrol? You can thank my brother for that drug. He had a role in that. So I was trying to remember, what did Carl say? So I thought, I'm going to email Carl and say, hey, what did you tell Jimmer? This was his response. I'm not sure if this is what you were looking for, but Jimmer asked me what I used to do for work. So I explained why we use the isolate and purify small amounts of protein from the body to confirm their biological activity and that they then get through to the sequence of amino acids and proteins so that the DNA-based probes could be constructed in order to isolate the cDNA of the gene that codes the protein and have interest in the human genome known as the clone of the gene. As I think you know, <laughs> the DNA... The DNA in each of your cells can, uh, encodes about 30,000 or so different genes. Each gene is copied by cell machinery into RMRNA via a process called transcription. And he went on to say more and more and more and more and more. Here's my favorite line in the whole email. Of course, what really happens is a lot more complicated than what I've described. But at least you have the basics. <laughs> have you been around someone who knows something more than you about a particular subject? This is Nicodemus with Jesus about this topic of being born again. But he has the greatest teacher to explain it to him. And we're blessed by John to record this story in his gospel that we can read today. As you look at verses 9, 10, 11, and 12, there's a question of how can this be? Look at verse 9. Nicodemus said to him, how can things like this be? Or how can these things be? He's still trying to understand what this means. Jesus answered and said to him, are you the teacher of Israel and do not understand these things? I sense he just took a bite of humility. Okay. Slice of humility. Verse 11. Truly, truly, there it is. Amen, amen. I say to you, we speak of what we know and testify what we have seen, and you do not accept our testimony. If I would, if I told you earthly things, Nicodemus, and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Wow. How can this be? These things, the spiritual regeneration. And Nicodemus is so perplexed at this. And note the definite article in verse 10 when he says, you're the teacher. 
You're the teacher of teachers. How do you not understand this? Come on, Nicodemus. The prophets of Isaiah, Ezekiel, Joel, and Samuel, and Jeremiah spoke of the Spirit working. Did you miss class that day? But Nicodemus is ignorant of the realm in which Jesus spoke regarding heaven and earth. Nicodemus represented Israel's unbelief. Nicodemus represented the lack of basic knowledge of how God works. In other words, we're not a whole lot different sitting there face to face. And this is rather humbling. Last message I gave on this topic of the chosen, Jesus asked Peter, and we covered this, who do you say that I am? Remember that? Well, Nicodemus is faced with the same question. He's got to come up with an answer. And out of his grace to Nicodemus, Jesus gives the answer which closes out this meeting. Let's look at it, verse 13, and we'll run to the end. No one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. It's a reference to, to Daniel. Verse 14, as Moses lifted up the servant in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. You might have heard this next verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And its neighbor, for God did not send the son into the world to judge the world, but so that the world might be saved through him. Look, Nicodemus, he who believes in him is not judged. And he who does not believe has been judged already. Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. This is the judgment. That the light has come into the world. And then the love, men love the darkness rather than the light. For their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light. And does not come to the light. For fear that his deeds will be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. Did you get it, Nicodemus? <laughs> Did you grasp what he was saying? Did he finally understand who Jesus is? That Jesus is the Son of Man. That he is the long-awaited Messiah. The promised and long-awaited Messiah that Nicodemus has been longing for all his life. That just like the people by faith looked to the, the bronze serpent that Moses held up, and we saw that in there, they were bestowed life. That you now, Nicodemus, must by faith look to Jesus for salvation and be granted eternal life. That Nicodemus, you need to come out of the darkness. That Nicodemus, you need to come out of the darkness of your traditions and what you've understood. And look at the light that is right in front of you and see what is clearly before you. That Nicodemus, you must be born again. You must be regenerated. You must receive by faith new spiritual life from actually imparted you by God himself to you. As I thought about this, I thought, well, Nicodemus, I wish I could read in John's gospel whether or not you got it. Because that's where the story ends. I would like to know this definitively. I'd like some verses that show this. In other words, Nicodemus, you heard all about this, but did you become a born-again Christian? 
Did you become a born-again believer? And, and by asking this question, to even bring it up, implies that there is some uncertainty. If you read commentators who've written about this, they allude to this uncertainty. Perhaps you need to answer this question yourself. Did you become a born-again Christian? And you're like, I think so. Oh, let's move beyond thinking. Let's know. How do you know if you're a born-again Christian? Let me give you four characteristics as we head towards home. This is where we're really talking about my regeneration. First characteristic, you have a belief in Christ for salvation. You have a belief in Christ for salvation. And while I'm listing four characteristics this morning in your notes, this first one is really the core and foundation to the remaining three. This is the beginning and the end. You must have a belief in Christ for salvation. 1 John 5.1 Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. There's that terminology again. This is key for Nicodemus. It's key for you and me. Now notice how I, I put this in here in your notes. You have a belief in Christ for what? For salvation. The second part of this statement defines what is meant by belief. It is for salvation. Why does this matter? I'm so glad you asked that question because James 2.19 says that even the demons believe who Christ is. But that is not for salvation. Years ago, uh, as a youth pastor, I'm at Hume Lake Christian Camp. I have a ton of kids over in high school and a group of kids in junior high. I'm floating between. I got staffed out for my counselors. I was over in junior high camp that night and came into the cabins with my high school guys and said, hey, what's going on? And one of my counselors like, everyone's a little freaked out. Why is that? Well, it's because of the speaker and what he said. Well, what do he say? He goes, he asked them and challenged the kids, some of you have a demon salvation. What? He goes, yeah. He said, some of you are in here and you have a demon salvation. That's freaked out the whole camp at this point. Because they're like, what? What do you mean by that? In other words, you have an understanding about who Christ is. But you have, do not have a belief for salvation. You have not come to that point of repentance, of recognizing your need for Christ personally. You're like the kid who was visiting his aunt and said, Oh, I know about Jesus, but you do not know him personally. That week, there's a lot of kids who got right with God who had grown up in the church, who had heard the term born again a lot of times. So how about you? <laughs> I hope you don't have a demon salvation. I hope you have a genuine faith in Christ that is for salvation. That's one of the characteristics of how to know if you're born again. Here's a second one. You desire to live in repentance. You desire to live in repentance. So I would ask the question, I wrote it in my notes this way, and I'll, I'll use it to me. Bill, do you have heavenly desires or earthly desires? And I said to myself, honestly, I have both. I'd like to be a pastor here that says, oh, behold, I only have heavenly desires. No, I struggle with both, which is where repentance becomes the key then. 
1 John 3, 9 puts it this way. No one who has been born of God will continue to sin. That's not going to be their habit. That's not going to be what they do. Because God's seed remains in him. They've been regenerated. They've been born again. He cannot go on sinning because he has been born of God. You've imparted new spiritual life. The test, if you desire to live in repentance, is the conviction of sin by the Holy Spirit. Such as a month or weeks after I became a Christian, and I said a curse word. No one else was around to hear it. It wasn't the worst curse word, but I knew exactly it was a curse word that I shouldn't have said. Because for the very first time, not because I thought I was going to get in trouble by my parents, it was this inner voice that said, that's not right. I'd never heard that before. It's not that it was an audible voice, but that grabbed my attention, freaked me out. And then I remember thinking, oh, this is what happens when you become a Christian. Eight, nine-year-old mind, just trying to figure it out, right? And it was at that moment that I desired to live in repentance that I prayed and said, Jesus, forgive me for saying that. And went on with my day. I've gone to him a lot of times. <laughs> again and again and again to for, ask for forgiveness for my sins because of my stupidity, because of my selfishness, because of my pride, because, because, because. Do you have that in your life that you desire to live in repentance what do you really desire in your heart of hearts? Is it to walk in the newness of life that Jesus gave you? A third characteristic to how to know if you're born again, you show spiritual fruit as the norm. You show spiritual fruit as the norm. A little bit more of a scriptural term, but here it is, Galatians 5, and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. You've heard that. We know that. But here's the deal. None of us are going to be flawless or perfect with our spiritual fruit. But spiritual fruit should be the norm. As I said here, you show spiritual fruit as the norm. The norm as opposed to what? As opposed to the exception. Does that make sense? It's the norm as opposed to the exception. Let me, let me illustrate it this way. I have an orange tree in my backyard. It's right outside my bedroom window. This past season, this orange tree that I've had the whole time I've lived in my house has produced lots of oranges. This past season, this orange tree produced one. One orange. I was so shocked. I'm like looking around the tree trying to go, there's got to be more than one. Why? Because this is not what? Normal. This is the exception. And I'm so happy to say as I watered my tree on Friday with a little bit of heat coming, I'm like look at all these green oranges that are coming. There's just, it's, that's the norm. Same thing to know, am I born again? Well, what's the norm in your life versus the exception? Look, we can be loving from time to time. We can be forgiving. We can be kind. But what's the norm for your life? How do you know if you're born again? Investigate. What's the norm? Investigate like Nicodemus did. 
Last one is this. How do you know if you're born again? You love what God loves. You love what God loves. What does God love? Scripture tells me he loves his son. John 3.17, or rather Matthew 3.17. There's this voice from heaven that says, This is my son in whom I love. And I am well pleased. God the Father loves his son. We love his son. That's an evidence that we are born again. What else is there that God loves? God loves people. God loves people. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world. God so loved the people. How much? That he gave his only begotten son? And the verse goes on as we know. Why? Because we're fatally flawed due to sin. We're fatally flawed due to sin. Do we love what God loves? Do we love his son? Do we love others? 1 John 4, 7, 8 puts it this way. Dear friends, believers, Christians, those who are born again, let us love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born, there's that word again, of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because why? Because God is love. Want to know if you're born again? I, I, I want to submit to you that one way is to find out is to go ask others if they feel loved by you. In marriage counseling I, and, and preparing couples for marriage, I've said, hey, you know, you might think that you love your wife, but don't take your answer for it. Make sure she puts her answer in too. Because that's what really matters, right? You can say, you can think, you can believe, you can say, oh, I did this, but does that spouse... Works both ways, or your kids, or other people in, in your family, or in the church, wherever it might be. Do they feel loved? If you were to ask them, what's their response? This makes such a huge difference, does it not, to know that they're loved? Years ago, before there was cell phones, do, do you just go back there for a second? Okay. My aunt and uncle lived on this busy street. There was accidents all the time there. They finally put a turn signal there, and I don't know why it took them so long. One night, crash happens. We kind of hear it. Okay, they're going to come to the door, ask if they can use the phone to call 911. Happened all the time. Ding dong. Yeah, yeah. Hope everybody's okay. Can we use your phone? You're going to act. Sure, here you go. We have it ready for you. Cordless. So we moved up into the world. So this one particular night, this lady comes to the door. You get the idea. And my aunt comes to me and says, hey, I got to take this lady. She was in an accident. Um, I got to take her in my car because she's trying to get her dog to the vet because there's some emergency going on. She says, oh, uh, dinner's on, about done. I'll be back later. She takes this lady. And at the end of the evening, she drops this lady off at her house. She's like, why did you do this for me? Why did you drop what you were doing? I, I get maybe to give me the phone, but why did you take me and take my dog and stay with me and be with me in that waiting room and then go home with me? Because I love Jesus. And Jesus tells me I'm to love others. Oh. And I don't know what the conversation went there, but that person knew for a fact something's different about you. <laughs> Who does this? Someone who loves others. It's a hallmark. It's a, it's a characteristic of those who have been born again. 
So what? So we have these so what's. I, I put two questions today. So what? Was Nicodemus born again? Back to this question. Was he born again? As I said, Scripture doesn't give a direct answer to this. However, we can say, well, what are the characteristics? Okay, belief in Christ for salvation, desire to live in repentance, fruit of the Spirit, loving God, loving others, right? We love what God loves. In John 7... Verses 50 and 51, we have a scene there where there's the Sanhedrin that are meeting. And the Jesus, the topic of Jesus comes up. And it's in that conversation that Nicodemus speaks up and says, doesn't he at least deserve to be heard from, to be fair? And as I read it, the Pharisees kind of rebuke him and go, He's, what, 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 what prophet, what, what anybody comes from Galilee? But there he is defending him. And then in John 19, 38 to 42, I think I put it in your notes, that is the scene where Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus go to bury Jesus' body. In my mind, if you're like the other Pharisees that were demanding for him to be crucified, and then you want to go put his body into the grave or into this tomb, and you bring 75 pounds of myrrh, spices for the traditional burial... I'm going, something's not saying that you're against this man. This is evidence, indicators that says maybe there's been a person who's been born again. Who's been regenerated. The chosen, if you notice, implies that he's been regenerated. But then I asked Pastor Mike and I asked Pastor Matt and I said, you think he was regenerated? They know the story. They're, they're Bible students, scholars, whatever. Yeah, we do think he is. And as the third pastor here, I agree. We all believe that he was born again based upon the evidence. And yet, I bring it up because it remains a topic for discussion, a little bit of uncertainty. Enough about Nicodemus. How about you? Is there any uncertainty? Is there needs to be a discussion about whether or not you're born again? Is there a topic? We know the verse, for God so loved the world, so on and so forth. We know that he came not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. We understand that. We know that, right? So what's your answer? If it's answered definitively, yes, Great. <laughs> Praise God. If you're uncertain about that answer, are you born again? I want to encourage you to be certain today. You don't have tomorrow guaranteed. And if your answer is no, the Bible clearly says, well, today is the day of salvation. May we not just be talking about my regeneration, but may we actually be living it out day by day. Father, thank you for your word and this story of Nicodemus. And Lord, this journey and this uncertainty of, of trying to understand what it means to be born again. And then Lord, I pray that we have a better understanding of what that is and what that means. And that Lord, out of this, 
Perhaps there's someone here today that goes, you know what, I need to make sure. I need to be certain. I don't want any question about this to be there, be a discussion, but only to be a definitive yes. Or maybe your answer is no, you've never made that decision. You're watching online and maybe this is some other day that you're watching this and you've not made that decision and you want to do that. For, for those of you who are here with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I just want to invite you to pray this simple prayer in your heart if you want to be certain about being born again. In your heart, simply repeat these words by faith unto God who is listening to you. Lord Jesus, Son of God, Savior, have mercy upon me, a sinner. Bestow onto me new spiritual life. Regenerate me that I might walk in this newness of life. In Jesus' name, amen.